So the reading is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If thou are not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thank you very much, Mandy, for reading. I'm going to preach in the middle again. Sorry, musicians. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to preach here. Uh, let's pray, shall we, uh, after hearing God's word. Uh, Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is truth and that it is life. And we just pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear what you want us to hear, that give us hearts that are obedient to you. Uh, we just pray, Lord, that you would come and comfort us, that you would assure us, and that you would lead us on in our faith. Amen. Amen. I wonder, have you ever made a mistake? And as I read that on my notes, I see that I've made a typo. Uh, so I've definitely made a mistake. Maybe you're sitting here tonight going, uh, I, I haven't made a mistake. I never make mistakes. But let me remind you that tomorrow is Valentine's Day and maybe you forgot to buy a card or buy flowers. That would be a big mistake. I made a mistake uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we had a problem. Our kitchen sink was blocked. And I thought, aha, a good chance to show off my DIY skills. Pulled out the plunger and I did a very good job because I unblocked the sink but as I unblocked the sink, I noticed the pool of water surrounding my feet, and it seems that I'd burst the seal on the other drain, and all the water was coming out everywhere. Uh, but my wife was very happy to see that, so all uh, was okay. We often think we've made a mistake, don't we, when things go wrong in our lives. What have I done? I've made a mistake. Something is hard. Whenever our boss is being unfair, we think, I'm in the wrong job. Whenever we have 34 different physics equations to memorize, we think, I've picked the wrong subject. Whenever being a Christian means that we live, that we think, that we act differently than the world around us, we might be led to believe that maybe we've made a mistake. And whenever we catch it with the disciples in John chapter 14, if you've got a Bible, keep it open. Whenever we catch it with the disciples in John 14, this is maybe how they're feeling. What have we done? They might think, why have we walked away from our jobs? Why have we spent the past three years following this man around? Because things are getting harder. Last week, we thought about persecution and how Jesus' words, I am the resurrection, the life, will help the disciples stand strong whenever persecution comes, whenever death is a threat to them. But there is more going on. Not only is there persecution, but there's deep, deep sadness. Because soon Jesus will leave these guys and he will go. These are Jesus' last hours with his disciples. As a, a quick aside, I don't know if anybody knows the wonders 
of Christian Twitter, but I love following different Christians on Twitter because sometimes you get little nuggets of really good uh, information, little sound bites. Uh, and one that just keeps coming to my mind over the past couple of days is, if you had 24 hours or the rest of your life, how would you spend it? Jesus had 24 hours that he knew he was going to live, and what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. And that's just a little insight into how intentional Jesus is being with these disciples. It's quite fitting we're doing having communion uh, later tonight because this is uh, the first communion was when Jesus gathered his disciples together, told them he was leaving, and wanted them to remember him by drinking the wine and eating the bread. But it isn't just feet washing. It's not just wine and bread. There's some bad news. And in fact, there's three pieces of bad news Number one, Jesus is going to weigh, he's going to die. Number two, one of the disciples will betray him, Judas. And number three, Peter will deny him. After these events happen, after these three predictions that Jesus gives, after they come to pass, these disciples will be scattered. They will hide and they will be confused. What exactly have they spent three years of their life doing? Sure, it was fun when there was miracles, whenever there were healings, whenever there were little mission trips, but now things are dire. Jesus is dead. What are we going to do? Was it all for nothing? Should we have just stayed being fishermen? Was following Jesus the right thing to do? And maybe that's a question you've asked of yourself. I'd be surprised if maybe you haven't, because we all have doubts. Is being a Christian worth it? especially when it's so hard. Whenever you have dreams and ambitions, but you know you must lay down your life and pick up your cross. Whenever all you want to do is respond in anger because somebody has so terribly hurt you, but you know you must love your enemy and turn the other cheek. Or maybe it's when life changes, whenever things shift around, whenever trials come, whenever hard things happen. Maybe you thought, well, I thought being a Christian was meant that God would look after me that I would always be safe, that I would always be well. I always thought that life would be easier if I trusted in God. There would be less pain if I was a Christian. I'd imagine tonight that each and every one of us have come, as Tom was saying earlier, to church tonight with troubled hearts. Hearts full of worry, hearts full of anxiety, hearts full of uncertainty. Living in this world as hard and living as a Christian can be even harder. And in our passage tonight, Jesus looks around this Passover table, sees his disciples who have troubled hearts, and he wants to comfort them. He wants to say, don't let your hearts be troubled. He wants to give them assurance. He wants them to know evermore who he is, where he is going, and that in him they are secure. And again, isn't this amazing, Jesus' attitude because Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen to him in the next couple of hours. He knows he's going to be arrested and tortured and killed. But his concern is not for his own comfort, but for the comfort of these men in front of him. It's always worth being aware that whenever we look at our Bibles, the little chapter headings are a little invention of ours to make it easier to find specific verses but Jesus' words, let not your hearts be troubled at the start of chapter 14, run straight through. After the disciples have been told that Jesus is going to die, after they've been told that Judas will betray, after Peter, who is so uh, bravely said that he's willing to die for Jesus, has been told that he will deny Jesus, 
This is when Jesus says to these disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Why should this group of disciples not have troubled hearts? Why should we not have troubled hearts? Well, it's because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and the way to have untroubled hearts is to have faith in Him. Jesus wants these disciples, and Jesus, I believe, wants us tonight to know even more who He is, that day by day, as we get out of our beds, we will be even more confident that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died in our place that we might have life in Him, that we might know the truth, and the truth might cure our troubled hearts. And in fact, to know that Jesus is really God's Son, that He has come to give life, is the whole reason John writes his gospel. John chapter 20, verse 31, uh, John gives a little aim, a little reason why he's put this book together. And he says, but these words are written so that you may believe in Jesus, that He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in Him, you might have life. The trouble in our hearts can be remedied if we increase our faith in Jesus. We're supposed to be thinking about the I am the way, the truth, and life, so let's use those little three little points to explore the rest of this passage and see how we cure our troubled hearts. Have a little look. If you've got a Bible open, if you haven't got a Bible open, maybe uh, grab one. Uh, Have a look at verses 2 and 4. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be, and that you know the way to where I am going. It's been clear for a long time that Jesus is going somewhere. Somewhere that his disciples cannot follow him. But he says in verse 2, the reason that he's going is to prepare a place for them. And now, to be honest, whenever I read this verse, I always think of Jesus with a feather duster preparing a, a, a little room. Uh, but that is a, a wrong thought, because Jesus, it doesn't mean that Jesus is going to heaven to make a little room up for me and fold the duvet and make it nice and neat. What Jesus is saying here is, I'm going to die. And through my death, there will be a way for you. Through the place where I'm going, I will make a way for you. He's going to a place that the disciples can't go to, a task that only he can accomplish, a task that will forever make these disciples safe and secure in eternity. In three days' time, every obstacle standing between these disciples and heaven, Jesus will remove. Jesus is going to prepare a room for these men in the Father's house by satisfying God's wrath so that unholy, sinful people can be in heaven. So the enemies of God can instead be the family of God and live in his house. Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a secure heavenly home for you, so let not your hearts be troubled. He says that this house is big, this house is huge, that there's plenty of rooms for everybody in God's house. There's room for the 11 of them sitting around that table, even for Peter, who will deny There's room for all the people who will uh, be the other disciples who meet up uh, after Jesus is resurrected. There's room for all the people who are converted in the book of Acts. There's room for every single Christian who has ever lived. There's room for all of us because God has a big house. 
There's room for you in God's house, so let your heart not be troubled. But look again, the goal here isn't a place. It's not that I believe in Jesus so that I get to heaven, but the goal here is Jesus. Because look, what does Jesus say? He says he's going to take them to himself. The goal of heaven is not to live a perfect life, but to live a perfect life in God's presence. I will come again, Jesus says, and I will take you to myself. And there's one more little important detail here, and it runs through all three of these points, that what Jesus says here is exclusive. There is no other way to God. There is no other way, Jesus says, to the Father except through Him. It's the only way possible. So to this group of men who worry if they've made the right decision, Jesus says, I'm the only way. You're on the right lines. I'm the only way to God, so let not your heart be troubled. Not only is the claim that Jesus is the way exclusive, but so is the claim that He is the truth. Not just truth, but the truth. All through John's gospel, Jesus has been revealing and He's been speaking truth. In fact, it starts all the way back in, with John the Baptist, who, who proclaims the truth, doesn't he? Who not only tells people to prepare the way for God, but he bears witness to the truth, the truth that Jesus is the Lamb of God who's coming to take away the sins of the world. Whenever Jesus meets the woman at the well, he tells her that people will now worship him in spirit and in truth. Whenever we see Jesus confronting the Pharisees, he says that you're lying and I am telling the truth. And here again, in this intimate little room, celebrating the Passover with his friends, Jesus reminds them that he's come to bring truth. That he hasn't come to lie or to deceive, but that people might know the truth and that the truth might set those people free. Our disciples need to know that what Jesus has said, what he's revealed about the law, how he's told them to live, right down to the explosive truth that he isn't just a messenger from God, but that he is God himself, that that and everything else Jesus says, these disciples need to know that Jesus is 100% telling the truth. Jesus is going to be ripped from them. He's going to be taken. He's going to be arrested, tried, murdered. In their despair and seemingly utter hopelessness, these disciples will scatter. But Jesus wants them to know that what they have heard from him is the truth. That if they stand with Jesus, they stand on the side of truth. Because these disciples will hear lots of things over the next couple of days. The Pharisees will accuse Jesus of lots of things. In the face of that, the disciples must know what the truth is. When the crowd find Jesus guilty and they shout, crucify, the disciples must know that Jesus speaks the truth. As the Romans kill him on the cross, as he's died, as he's buried, as the promises that Jesus has made fade and seem to fail, the disciples need to know that Jesus has been telling the truth. And when he's raised again, as he said he would be, they will see that the truth of Jesus is gloriously affirmed by his Father. And we too need to know what Jesus says is the truth. That again, when we stand on God's Word, we stand on the truth. That we as Christians don't follow outdated cultural rules, 
that we as Christians stand in contrast to the sexual and gender revolution, not because we're small-minded, ignorant people. We proclaim Jesus to be the only way to God, not because we don't know of any other religions. We say that He is the only way to get that new self-help guide, that new magic crystal, that no other God can get you there, not because we like to pretend that we know it all, but because it is 100% genuinely true. In a post-truth world, where truth is so flexible and malleable, where I'm told to live my truth and I have to tell you to live your truth, we need to know that what Jesus says is the truth not just intellectually when it comes to subjects like that, but devotionally as well. That we need to know more than anything that there's nothing that we can do right now to make Jesus love us more. That we need to know that if we're trusting in God, there's not one thing that we can do to earn heaven. That we need to know that there's not one enemy, as we've sang tonight, not one plan, not one scheme, not one life circumstance that can unwillingly pluck you out of the hands of God. The truth is that if you trust in Jesus, no matter what happens, even if this world suddenly was to collapse upon itself into a massive black hole, you would be safe and you would be sound. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled because I am the way and I am the truth. And lastly, life. Jesus has spent a lot of John's gospel talking about life. The word comes up 39 times. It also crops up in that little verse we read earlier from chapter 21, verse 30. Uh, But these words are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and by leaving you would have life in His name. And this idea of Jesus giving life has a twofold meaning. For us, it means as Christians we are given life, that we are given life here and now. There are seven billion people living on this planet. All of them are alive, but not all of them are living because they don't know Jesus. There's a difference between being alive and living. If you know Jesus, you have true and proper life. And actually, Peter has said this earlier Because Jesus is saying some really incredibly hard things to disciples. Lots of people are walking away. And Jesus says, well, guys, do you want to go too? And Peter says, where else will we go, Lord? Because only you have the words of eternal life. And while this life that Jesus calls us to is an upside-down life, a life without comfort, a life spent putting other people before ourselves, a life missing out so that we can enjoy later, a life where it's better to, be, to serve rather than to be served, a life in which we love and forgive our enemies, a strange life that's like, like unlike any other way of life I knew of. It might be strange, but it's life to the full. Not only is it life now, of course, but life for eternity. Life forever. Jesus doesn't say, come and follow me, guys, to these disciples, and I will offer you life for the next three years. He doesn't say to us, come and I'll offer you life. I'll give you a nice way to live until you die. He says, no, let me teach you how to live now, and let me uh, take you to be with me forever. Do not let your hearts be troubled, because Jesus says, I am life itself. To know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life is just as reassuring for us today as it was 2,000 years ago 
from the, as for, to those disciples. I don't really think as disciples we've changed very much. We might not be fishermen here in church tonight, but we are definitely people who have troubled hearts, people who have worries, people who have anxieties. And to hear Jesus say to us that He is the way, that He is the truth, and that He is the life. To hear Jesus say to us, do not let your hearts be troubled, but believe in me. I hope tonight those words are a balm to your soul. You might not know what tomorrow brings, but do not let your hearts be troubled, says Jesus, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you. We stand amazed at these words of yours. We praise you, Lord, that you made a way, that you spoke the truth, and that you give life. And we pray tonight, as it did for those disciples all those years ago, to bring reassurance and comfort. We pray that this truth would penetrate into our lives and into our hearts. We pray this week that whatever we face, whatever goes on, that we would know that you've got us, that you love us, that you hold us, that you are the way to life that you are the truth about life, and that you are life itself. And we pray this all in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen.